Hey, good morning, everybody. Glad to be up here with you all. Um, our head pastor, Pastor Paul, is out of town for Thanksgiving, so you get somebody who's drastically different than him. He's I'm literally about twice his size, and he's hairless, so so, so you get somebody different. Hey, uh, go ahead and turn to Romans five. One thing I love about how the Holy Spirit works is that oftentimes during service, things will just start connecting. And when Ethan came up here to do the offering, Ethan wasn't here last night. He, he was, um, had a rest day with him and his family, and so he didn't, he didn't hear the sermon or anything like that. But I'm preaching on the passage that he spoke for the offering that the Holy Spirit gave him, right? And so it's just amazing, those, those little things that happen. Just to let you know that the Holy Spirit's here, to let you know that, that the Lord is interested in what we're doing, and that, and that hopefully we're on the right track. So who had a good Thanksgiving this week? Yeah? You can always tell who had a good Thanksgiving because they start looking like a turkey themselves with a big belly and skinny legs. Hey, you, get, you guys can obviously tell I had a good Thanksgiving. I can see a few of you had a good Thanksgiving as well. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, so it, it was supposedly it's 400 years since the, the initial Thanksgiving. And I'm not a historian and I'm not good at math, so I don't know if that's really true, but I saw it on Facebook. And so it has to be true. But 400 years is a long time uh, and of, of, of just celebrating this, this oneness among people. And this oneness among different types of people. And so what we're going to talk about today is the glory of God and the indwelling spirit. And we're going to talk about how the spirit fills us, what the spirit does in us. We're going to talk about the baptism of the spirit. But we're also going to talk about unity. Because the spirit of God gives unity to us. It's, a, it's an aspect. It's a fruit of the spirit. It's, it's one of the things that the spirit does. But yet we're in a time where there's so much strife going on, and even strife among Christians who should be unified because they have the Holy Spirit inside of them, but yet are succumbing to the ways of the world and are succumbing to the ideas of the world and are succumbing to the culture of the world. And what that does is it transforms us not into Christ-likeness, but into world-likeness. And then we end up becoming the warning that Christ gave in the Sermon on the Mount of what happens when salt loses its saltiness. When we become flavorless and lack seasoning, lack transformation, lack any sort of active change in the world, then then. What's, what's really going on? What, you know, what's really our, our purpose? And so I'm going to start here by reading the same passage that Ethan read at the beginning of the service, Romans 5, 1 through 5. And in this passage that we're going to spend the whole morning thinking about, looking at the different, uh, dif different lines of text here, looking at some context, but ultimately looking at what the Holy Spirit does in us and how the Holy Spirit changes us and transforms us. 
So Romans 5, 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we celebrate in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also celebrate in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And it's this love of God that's been poured out into our hearts that's often hard to grasp because it's often hard for us to understand how to love. And it's often hard for us to act in love in certain situations. But yet it doesn't really rely on us as much as we think it does because the Holy Spirit is the one that gives us the grace to love shows us how to love. But sometimes we, we, we may say it with our mouths and we may think it with our minds that we know that the Holy Spirit is inside of us, but yet we act like the Holy Spirit is, is outside of us. And especially as Christians, right? You know, there's so many times that I've heard, especially in charismatic circles, this desire for God to show up in, in, a, um, in a physical way. And it's people saying, Lord, I, 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 need, I need a burning bush experience like Moses had. If I, if I could just see this bush on fire and, 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 and not burning up, then I'd know you're with me. Or sometimes we say, and there's even songs about this, about having a cloud by day and a fire by night. We, we want to see you, Holy Spirit, to know how you're leading us. And, and that sort of mentality is a refusal, based on ignorance or not, uh, to really fully understand that we have the Holy Spirit already inside of us, and the Holy Spirit is already leading us, but we're not, we're not looking at the right things. We need to see something, or we need to feel something to, to, to think that the Holy Spirit's with us. And yet God over and over and Paul over and over and all of the apostles continually tell us that the Holy Spirit indwells in you. Once you're baptized in the Spirit, the Spirit comes and rests on you. And so with Jesus, when, when Jesus came, you know, he, he came to earth and he was baptized by John the Baptist. And it's, it's in... Um, see where is it in John 1 32 through 34 you guys can look that up later but it's it's John giving his testimony about Jesus it's John giving his testimony about the Messiah and John wasn't sure John, John knew his ministry was to prepare the way for the Messiah but he wasn't sure wh what exactly that was going to look like he, he he didn't know what he was looking for and so in this passage in John 1 32 through 34 God, Yahweh, tells John, this is what you look for. You look for the man who comes, and when you baptize him in water, the Spirit of God will descend on him and never leave. And so John said, okay, well, I'm sure he said, well, what does that look like? I have no idea <laughs> what, what that's going to be. But at least he had, he had, he had some, some sort of glimpse. He had an understanding of, of what to look for. And then so Jesus comes in gets baptized by him, and 
you know, the heavens open. God says, this is my beloved son. And then everyone sees what looks like a dove descend on Jesus, rest on him, and never leave. And it was at that moment that John the Baptist knew this is the Messiah. And this is the testimony he's giving in John 1. He's saying, this is how I know this is the Messiah. Because the Holy Spirit rests on him. And it never leaves. And, and, and we'll touch a little bit later on Pentecost how, how what happened to Christ happened to us as well. But first, I want to talk about this first line in this passage. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that, that phrase there, justified by faith. That there's a lot in that phrase. And there's a lot of arguments on what exactly that means and how exactly that works. And we won't get bogged down by the, the ifs and whats about it. But what we will talk about is what it means in, in simple terms. And what justification means in simple terms is how God sees us as right in his eyes. And this whole book of Romans is written by Paul, the apostle. And what the majority of the book, Paul is arguing against the idea that to be a Christian means you have to follow the law. And he's especially arguing against the idea, which was prevalent at the time, was to be a Christian meant you had to become circumcised. And, and, and there were other ways that people, the early church at the time, Jewish believers would try to discount the Christian faith and people who weren't Jewish believers, who were Gentiles, because they weren't following the law. And so over and over, Paul is in here saying that we are not justified by works. We are not seen right in the eyes of God based on what we do. It's not how we follow the law that God sees us and says, oh, now I can, now I can you know, do something with this guy. But rather, it's our belief in Christ. It's this justification by faith. God sees us as being right in his eyes because we believe in Jesus who died on the cross and rose again. Who covered us with his blood and grafted us into the family of God. And so that, that, this is Paul's argument. The book of Romans gets... You know, pe people start looking at it and, and taking bits and pieces of it out of context, and then it gets so muddled here and there. But overall, it's a simple book of arguing against works and for belief in Christ, for justification and faith. And it's also an argument for unity in the church, because the church was so, so uh, divided at this time. And it took a lot for Paul and Peter, but mostly Paul, to unite the church around this idea that Gentiles can become Christians without having to follow the law because we're not justified by works. And, and sometimes, you know, we're ending this, this season of, of Hello Holy Spirit, this theme of Hello Holy Spirit, and we're entering into this, this new theme. Today is the first day of Advent. It's the first Sunday of Advent where we spend four weekends up until Christmas Day when we celebrate the birth of Christ, anticipating the arrival of the Messiah. And in this passage, you can see a little bit of both. You can, you can see how the Holy Spirit works, and then you can also see that there's, there's this hope that we have 
in the Messiah coming back and in the Messiah returning to us. And, and so, so, so there's a tension in this time and, and a deliberate tension as well as, as we wait and we anticipate because we're waiting for the kingdom to come back. We're waiting for Jesus to come and establish his kingdom on earth in fullness. We see it in glimpses right now and we see it partly. But when Jesus comes back, we're going to see the, the, full, the full thing. And how we see it partly is this baptism of the Spirit and, and the Holy Spirit coming and resting in us, resting on us and never leaving. And I can see it in my own life, too, of how the Holy Spirit came and baptized me in his presence. And, and also thinking about how sometimes myself and then others also can get kind of caught up by, by the same sort of division that was happening in the early church at this time of wanting to do works or thinking that we can make ourselves holy in some sense. If I read the Bible more, I'll be holy. If I pray more, I'll be holy. But really how it turns out is I don't pray enough, and so God's not going to use me. Or I don't read the Bible enough, so God's not going to use me. Or when I pray for people, they don't fall down, so God's not using me. Right? And, and so we, we, we get all of these lies in our heads that build up in us. And then we start acting like the Holy Spirit doesn't indwell us. That the Holy Spirit's not in us. Because we think we're not like this guy or that guy or her. We're comparing ourselves. And when, when I became a Christian, I was, it was my senior year of high school, was when I, when I fully realized who Christ was and gave my life over to him. And at that point, I was going to this church in town, Church on the Rock. And I know some, some people here have gone to that church in the past. And it was a very charismatic church. And I remember going there the first time and seeing people jumping and dancing around and flags I was thinking, what is this? <laughs> What's going on? And I had no idea what was really happening. But over time, you know, the Lord, the Lord kept pouring into me through the youth pastor there. And the youth pastor is the one that discipled me over years because I went there for a few years before I became, before I understood what it meant to be a Christian and gave my life over. And then once I became a Christian, I did that thing where I got rid of all of my CDs, all of my music. You know, I was, I was a big fan of gangster rap. So I got rid of all of those CDs. I stopped watching all kinds of other shows or movies, and I just watched TBN all the time. <laughs> Which was great for me then. I don't necessarily like TBN now, but at the point, at that time, it was, it was good. And it was something that kind of helped disciple me and helped change me, right? Because I needed a drastic change in my life. And I had gotten baptized, and at that point, just an interesting little tidbit, side note here, is that at that time was when Alan Hawkins was still at Dunlordy Baptist, and he was receiving, he, he was experiencing the Holy Spirit. And he was trying to figure out how to dig into the Holy Spirit more, and so he would go to Church on the Rock and go see Pastor Jack at Church on the Rock just to get more information and to pray with him and and to figure out what, what exactly was going on. So when I was baptized in water, it was at Downlordy Baptist. And I remember walking in, it was a Sunday evening, 
And walking in, and Alan was holding the door open, shook all of our hands as we walked in, and then Pastor Jack was the one who, who baptized us. But that was my first meeting with Alan, and I remember seeing him around at Church on the Rock just because of who Alan is. He's, he's this big presence wherever he goes, right? So you just know when he's there. So I remember seeing him around a lot. And then here's this other story real quick that I want to mention because Errol's here this morning. Um, and, and you guys all know that Errol co-founded the church, this church with Alan Hawkins. Twenty years ago, twenty-one years ago, and I was I was in here a few years ago, just giving a teaching and talking about how this this one instance I had this first prophetic word that was given to me that actually meant something to me because it was a prophetic word that wasn't about my size, it wasn't about me being an Indian or anything like that. I, you know, usually I get. I get, I get stuff about feathers and arrows and, you know, like all that kind of stuff. And so, so, so it's hard for me to kind of accept those. I'm like, all right, yeah. Or, or, you know, I get like about my size too. But at, at this church, we went to this church and I didn't, I didn't know anything about this church. And, and it was in the lead up to when I was becoming a Christian, my mom was forcing me to go to all of these different things. And so I had to go to this thing because I had a guest speaker there. And then at the end of his sermon, he gave this word. And, and it, was, it was perfect for me because at the time then, and still today, I love professional wrestling. I love watching professional wrestling. And the word he, <laughs> and my wife here is shaking her head. She leaves the room every time I put it on. But the word was about that. It was this guy seeing me in this you know, professional wrestling ring and, then, and like a tag team with Jesus. And it was this perfect word for me. This guy doesn't, didn't know me. But anyway, so, so that was, that was a, a transformative experience in my life because I saw the power of the Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit. And I thought, well, maybe the Lord does care about me. And then it wasn't until when I was sharing that story here and I looked over to my mom and I said, what church was that? And she said, it was the Vineyard Church, Arrow Fox Church. And it's amazing to me to see how 20, over 20 years now, because I'm older. But over 20 years now, I'm a pastor in the church that both of those men started. Yeah. And, and not only that, but I, I'm, I'm so grateful to count them as mentors, right? Pouring into my life. And at that time, too, I, I really had no future. I couldn't see anything. I was, I was a new Christian, but my whole life was, was messed up. I had I'd done so much at that point, too, that even after high school, there was, there was little for me. And then the Lord says, well, I have a plan for you. And then years and years go by, and the Lord's just giving me favor and favor and favor up until now, Right? And the Lord's continuing to do so. But it's how the Holy Spirit works in us. And it's, and it's what the Holy Spirit does in us. When we give our lives to Jesus and we give our lives to the Holy Spirit, we say that my life is yours. And so we take this step out, not knowing what's going to happen, but we just take the step and the Holy Spirit takes care of us. And then we take another step and the Holy Spirit takes care of us again. And so in this passage too, 
It says we celebrate in the hope of the glory of God. And that's what the glory of God is, is knowing that the glory of God indwells you. And the glory of God brings you peace. The glory of God brings you change. And the glory of God also brings you some terrifying things that he's going to be walking with you in. When I was chasing after the, the spirit of God, when I became a Christian, I I kept hearing about the baptism in the Spirit, baptism in the Spirit, and I, I didn't really think I had had that. I had gotten water baptized, but I didn't have the baptism in the Spirit. And so I was going after that, and I was particularly really going after speaking in tongues. At that time, I thought the two were tied together. I don't necessarily think that anymore, that the baptism of the Spirit is tied by a show of you speaking in tongues. But at the time, I thought so. And so I would, at night, I would pray that Jesus would baptize me in the Spirit and I would begin speaking in tongues. There would be nights where I would be in my bed, listening to worship music, crying, praying for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and nothing happened. Over and over, night after night, nothing would happen. I would, I would press in and, and try it, and I would get frustrated. And I would start thinking these other lies because I, was, I started to, to work along the lines of thinking that I was justified by works. And that there, wasn't, there was something right about me. I had to pray more. I had to do more stuff for the Lord to baptize me in the Spirit. And I didn't know that it was just a gift from God that he gives to us. But yet my heart wasn't necessarily right in chasing after it because, again, I was, I was thinking that it was all works-based. And then I remember there was this big men's conference in Glorietta. I'm sure a lot of us have been to conferences in Glorietta. And, and it, was in, it was in the big church chapel area and all kinds of churches from around the city and, and even beyond joined in at this thing that was led by Steve Smotherman from, from Legacy at the time. And it was a three day, a three day event. And on the last day, it was a Sunday morning. Steve gave a teaching, they had worship, they had a ministry time at the end. And it was just something that he said at the end about, come up if you want to be baptized in the Spirit. And so I was up in the balcony, balcony back right, basically. And so I thought, well, I, I want to be baptized in the Spirit, but God ain't, ain't doing it. And so I said, well, I'm just going to get up and go down there. I didn't really have much faith that something was going to happen because I felt like so let down <laughs> before. But I got up, walked down the stairs. And I walked up to the stage, and I can remember it was just full of men, right? And it was early morning, so everyone had freshly um, placed Old Spice on them. So, you know, like the smell was raising up to heaven as incense. And, and there was so much cologne up there. I, I just remember all of that. But I walked up, and I, and I walked up to kind of like the, the, the right side of the stage. And so I was like right over here. And it was packed. And as soon as I walked up and they were, they were playing, you know, the worship band was going on and, and somebody was praying. I don't know if it was Steve or somebody else. Someone was praying and I walked up and, and then I just closed my eyes and put out my hands. And I remember starting to feel electricity just right at the top of my head. And then it moved down and it just stuck to the right side. And as it went down, I was praying and I was thanking the Lord for, for visiting me and, and experiencing me. And then my prayer started changing into a language that I didn't understand. 
And then so, so tongues was, was birthed inside of me at that time too. And then it was, it was just electricity all the way down my right. So much that my knee just kept shaking and shaking. And, and I, I was, it was such a beautiful moment, except for my knee was shaking the whole time. And it was bothering me, and then I was self-conscious too, but then at the same time I was crying because I was just feeling the power of the Holy Spirit on me, and my knee was shaking because of all the electricity. And it was just a weird moment. And that often happens with the Holy Spirit. You just kind of get put in these weird moments. But it was such a beautiful moment at the same time. And it was a moment of God telling me that he loved me. And that there wasn't anything I had to do for it, really. I just had to be open. I had to walk down. You know, I had to get up out of my seat. Like, like the, the easiest thing to do. But it wasn't, I hadn't been praying more or anything like that, right? Like there, there wasn't anything that was, that I was doing that, that made me worthy, right? I was worthy just because I was a son. I was the son of God, and I was justified by faith because I believed in Christ. And I celebrated in the hope of the glory of God, and the glory of God came and fell on me. All throughout the Old Testament, this glory of God is spoken of as the Shekinah glory, which means the dwelling glory of God. And God comes down and rests among the people, and he rested among the people of Israel in the temple. His presence rested there, not in the people, but in the city. And then when Israel stopped obeying the Lord and the Lord had to pull his hand back from protecting them, then these other nations came in and eventually sacked Israel, Assyria first and then Babylon later on. And, and before that, the spirit of the Lord left the temple. And it was such a painful moment for the Israelites. Lamentations is about this. It's such a painful moment of seeing the spirit of God leaving them. And then later when, when, when the Israelites return from exile and they start rebuilding the temple, they build a second temple, but there's no mention of God coming down and resting on that temple. And so they go centuries thinking or wondering, is God with us? And hoping that God is with them. But yet it's only when Jesus comes and it's only when Jesus gets baptized and the Holy Spirit falls on him that the Spirit of God again comes to the Israelites. But this time it's in a different fashion. Rather than indwelling a building, God wants to indwell humans. And so when we think about the glory of God, the glory of God can be an attribute, but the glory of God is also... In the Old Testament, the, the manifestation of the presence of God. And this is why I say, too, it, it bugs me at times when we say, Oh, I, Lord, I, I need to see you. I need to see something you know, from you. I need to have that burning bush experience or whatever it is. I need to see gold dust flying down or, or whatever. Because it, it's, it's just such, a, it's, it's such an admonition on, on who we are as Christians in not knowing that the Holy Spirit is already indwelling us. And it's great when God does that, but it's not something that we, that we need, right? And it's not something that we need to be chasing after because the Holy Spirit's already here. The Holy Spirit's already moving in us. 
after the line of we celebrate in the hope of glory of God, it's interesting that Paul has this. He says that not only this, but we also celebrate in our tribulations. How many of you guys celebrate in your tribulations? Sometimes. It's hard to do. It's not easy. But again, the Holy Spirit helps us. That's the only way we can get through it is because of the Holy Spirit. And so our tribulations bring about perseverance. Perseverance brings about proven character and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint. I want to read, we, you know, we just celebrated Thanksgiving. And so I want to read this um, address from Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln. He was the one to declare Thanksgiving a federal holiday. He did this in October 3rd, 1863. And I'm just going to read the last section of his proclamation. But what Abraham Lincoln is doing here is he's doing what Paul is telling us to do, to celebrate in our tribulations. Here's what Lincoln says. I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States and also those who are at sea and those who are sojourning in foreign lands to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November next as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. And I recommend to them that while offering up the ascriptions justly due to him for such singular deliverances and blessings, they do also with humble penitence for our national perverseness and disobedience, commend to his tender care all those who have become widows, orphans, mourners, or sufferers in the lamentable civil strife in which we are unavoidably engaged, and fervently implore the interposition of the Almighty Hand to heal the wounds of the nation and to restore it as soon as may be consistent with the divine purposes to the full enjoyment of peace harmony, tranquility, and union. And it's such, it's such a powerful statement. And, and this, this proclamation was given just a couple weeks before his Gettysburg Address. And we all know what was going on at the time, right? The Civil War, where the nation was actively fighting against one another. And Lincoln says, we need to hope in the glory of God, and we need to celebrate in our tribulations, and we need to come together. And the only way we can come together is by giving ourselves over to the Lord. And so he called this Thanksgiving. And so we celebrate Thanksgiving every year. But it seems like we only celebrate it in just, that, just this little section, that one day, maybe the week leading up to it. And then after that, we're back into the strife of the world. We're back into arguing with people. In, in our country, you know, we've been having a lot of racial division going on, a lot of high-profile cases. And just the other week, we had two um, verdicts in two cases, one in Wisconsin and one in Georgia. Two cases that brought wide strife and division among Americans. And among Christians as well. And the sad part about it is that Christians are called to be different. But yet we're often drug in to, to all of these fights. And you can see it on Facebook. You can see it on whatever social media you have. I'm sure some of you heard it around the Thanksgiving dinner table. <laughs> I'm sure you heard something. 
and you know, at, even as we're as we're told to give thanks, and as we're told that the Spirit of God unifies us, we often say, "Nah, I don't know about that. I still don't like this guy." Recently, it was it was a few weeks ago. I I um, saw. I still use Twitter. I'm sure some, most people don't use Twitter. But I, I still use that as kind of my main thing. And so I follow a wide variety of people on there. It's a social media site if you don't know what it is. And I, I follow people on the left and right and all over in between and Christians and non-Christians. And you just get a, a good variety of people there. And, and I heard about this story from scrolling through Twitter. But I heard about in Wisconsin at, at, the, at the trial that was going on up there of how out on the court... Court, yard, court steps. There was two, two, two groups of protesters. You had one, you had the liberals, on one side, right? Just because it's so easy to, to to define them as that. And then you had the conservatives, right? Because it's so easy to define them as that. And so you had liberals and conservatives there, art, you know, yelling probably, protesting against each other, protesting against what was going on protesting against what they view as injustice. But two, two totally separate groups. And then this one, this one day, the, the more liberal side orders a whole bunch of pizzas from Domino's and they bring them over to the conservative side where the conservatives are protesting. They put the pizzas down and they all share a meal together. And it's such a great moment of unity in the midst of everything else that's dividing them. But yet, when I was scrolling through Twitter and the person that I saw posting this, talking about it, who is a Christian himself, and he's not a big Christian leader or anything like that, but he's well-respected in certain circles. His comment about that was, I would never eat with those people. And, and you know, just, just hearing, hearing you guys' reaction was my reaction, too, is because we, we call ourselves Christians and we say that we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, but then... We, we act like we don't have the Holy Spirit inside of us. And we act like those people aren't worth anything. When in reality, they're just as worthy as I am because they're children of God. And over and over, we find ourselves being caught up in this, though, right? I mean, I, it's happened to me. I'm sure it's happened to a lot of you guys here as well, getting caught up in Republican versus Democrat. Or independent versus the other two. <laughs> or libertarian versus everybody. <laughs> and we get so caught up in, in all of these political mindsets that we start seeing people as the enemy. And especially happens with illegal immigrants, right? How we talk about illegal immigrants reveals our heart towards them. And so there's this, all of this lamentable strife going on and on. And in the same way that I was trying to do justification by works and getting the Holy Spirit to work in me based on doing something for me, we kind of bring this into the cultural age as well to say that you're not a good person unless you do this, this, and this that agrees with what I think. And if you don't agree with these things or if you're not these things, then you're the enemy and you're bringing violence on me or whatever. But it's all of this division, 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 division. There was a point a week or two ago when I was just in my office and 
And then Sean was in my office and Jerry Toledo was in my office and other people were in my office because people are always in my office. They're always coming in. And we're always just talking. And sometimes we argue. And sometimes we talk about what's going on in the world. And sometimes we get a little mad with each other. And, and at this, in this moment in the office, Sean at one point said, he said, you know what? He said, I love you guys. And, you know, we, we were talking about political stuff and, and kind of joking around too, but, you know, things were kind of growing. And, 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 and he said that, and, and it, it, was, it was such a reality in the moment of, yeah, we're united. No matter what we really believe about how the world should be run or about politics or anything like that, we're united because we're Christians, because we love Jesus, because we celebrate in the hope of, of the glory of God. And it's true, I love Sean. I love everybody that I work with, even Stephen. <laughs> I, I love everybody that I work with. And as people who just, just in normal life, I don't know if I would have ever really come across them or ever really had a relationship with them. Because everybody on staff is just from such different walks of life. But at the same time, the Holy Spirit is what unites us. And so how come it can happen here on staff, but it can't happen in the world? How come it can happen here in the church where we're all sitting together, we're all of various political beliefs, we're all un here united to hear the word of God, to, to worship Jesus, to celebrate the hope of our glory, the hope of Christ's glory as well. And yet once we leave those doors, all of a sudden, as we're driving home, we're mad at that guy because he cut us off. And then we're listening uh, to Fox News or MSNBC and we get mad at those other guys for what they're doing. How come unity is the first thing to go? And the answer is because we try to do things alone. We try to act like we, we don't really, we may say we have the Holy Spirit, but we act like we don't. There's this TV show that Megan and I were, um, have been watching. It's called Alone. Have any of you seen it? It's a survival show. <laughs> Got a big fan over here. And so Megan and I just watched this first season. And, and what it is, it's, it's kind of like a, it's a survival show, but then a little bit of a, a game show too, in a sense, because they, they take 10 guys who are survival experts and put them out, oh, and, and women, I guess in later seasons, not in the first season. I've only seen the first. And, and put them out into the wilderness. And so in the first season, they put them out in Vancouver Island area, where there's a whole bunch of bears and cougars and, and wolves. And, and whoever lasts the longest gets $500,000. But they don't know how long they're going to be out there because you got to wait for all the other guys to, to fail first. And so I've, you know, I've, I've heard about the show from other people, and other people have been talking about it and saying that, oh, they're, it's so great to see how people can survive, and I'm taking notes. <laughs> so... So, so, so I know how to do it, and other people are interested in what they build. And the only reason I'm interested in it is for the psychological breakdowns of all of the people. <laughs> I was seeing just what exactly breaks them. Because sometimes people are scared of the animals that come around. But 
oftentimes it's loneliness. That's the biggest, the biggest reason they quit. And so I watch it and I think, oh, that guy's going to crack soon. You know, I get, he starts trying to make bets about who, who's coming next. And then it's not because I think I could do better than them because I know I can't. If you guys ever hear about me being lost in the wilderness, you may as well just plan my funeral because there's no way I'm making it out alive. Unless Jesus treats me like Elisha and sends a couple angels down to bake me a cake, cook me some food and, and cheer me up. That's the only way I'm surviving the wilderness. But for, for these guys, you know, the, the, they're alone. And, and, and what really bothers them is the aloneness. And then the church comes in and people get mad at church or get mad at God. There's a whole bunch of stuff going on with people deconstructing, right? Like you've heard this. They're deconstructing from the faith. And, and you know, like I've seen people do it on social media. I know people that are going through similar things now. And the first thing they give up on is the church. Which is, to me, so plainly an attack of the enemy. So plainly a tactic of the enemy for them to say, I have all of these hurts and all of these frustrations with, with God and with what's going on in the church. So I'm just going to walk away from all of that, walk away from that community and go out like these men in the Vancouver wilderness with all the cougars and demons and everything else around and say, I'm better off over here. When the reality is they're not. And it's in my own life too that God's had, 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 had to grow in me an understanding of community, had to grow in me an understanding of serving others, of loving the church. And how he did that was by growing in me an understanding of how to love my wife. And I don't have much time left, so I can't share a lot more of the stories. I'm not going to go as long as I did last night because I went long last night. But what, what, the, what the Lord did for me was I, Megan and I were dating for a while, and, and it was hard for me to commit. It was hard for me to, to say I want to be a part of this, this relationship in anything, any different manner. And the Lord came and, and transformed me in such a radical way of showing me the love of God and showing me who he was and showing me how to serve other people and showing me that in serving her, is the same way that I serve the church and the same way that Jesus serves us. And it's, it's, it's all of this, this idea of this commitment as a continual process. It's not just a one-day thing because I was afraid of failure. But commitment isn't just this one-day thing, but it's a continual every single day process. And we see it in marriage a lot. We've got to continually commit to our relationship. And it works with the Lord in the same way. We have to continually commit to the Lord. And for some of us, it's hard it's still hard for me to commit to some things. I'm, I'm very much an introvert. And I'm very much an extreme introvert. And that, in that it's hard for me to be around people. And then God makes me a pastor. Or to have to deal with people. All the time. That's right, Jerry. But yeah, it's the grace of God because the Holy Spirit's in me. The grace of God getting me through it. And I mean, it's, it's one of those things, too, where I, I need some time away from people, and I just need time alone. And there are some times, too, where 
I'd be at home with Megan and saying, I just want to be a monk. And then Megan sitting next to me is saying, why do you say that stuff? It doesn't make me feel good. Because it's my wife sitting next to me. And I say, it's not because of you. It's because of all those guys. But yeah, that, that's, that's, for me anyway, that's the wrong path to take. It's not going out and being alone. That's going to be any good for me. I need my times of recharging because I can't recharge around people, right? You know, it's that whole whole thing. Extroverts recharge around people. Introverts recharge away from people. So I do need to be away from people, but I also need to not stay away from people. So I'll end with talking about this last line, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. We don't know how to love, but it's only Jesus that shows us how to really love. And nor can we love, but it's the Holy Spirit that gives us the help to love. Over and over in, in Corinthians, Paul again is arguing for unity but he's taking a little bit different track in Corinthians by saying we have unity within diversity. By saying we're still unique people with the same spirit. Because Paul goes in and says there's all these gifts available to you. Healing the sick, casting out demons. Words of knowledge, speaking in tongues. There's these other gifts too about being apostles, teachers, preachers. But then Paul mentions all of them and he says, not everybody's going to be everything. Or not everybody's going to have this one gift. And so oftentimes for us, I mentioned it at the beginning of this sermon, is that we see the Spirit of God working in somebody else. And how it works in somebody else. And we may start thinking, Lord doesn't do that in me. So do I have the Spirit of God in me? We start doubting. When in reality, you, you most likely do have the Spirit of God and dwelling in you, if you believe in Jesus and are justified by faith. But it's going to look different. And Paul says, still chase after all of these things. Still chase after healing. Still chase after the prophetic. But not everybody gets those gifts. And again, they're gifts. They're just freely given. So whoever has those gifts, whether it's a Randy Clark or a Bill Johnson or whoever... They received it not because of anything special about them, and mostly in spite of themselves, God gave them that gift. And so we, we get caught up in this mindset of trying to compare ourselves to other people. And we become ju thinking about justifying ourselves by works. If I'm not doing those works, then I'm not as holy as that guy, and God's not using me. When in reality, we need to say, well, it's good what, what God's doing in them, but God's doing something different in me. And I need to go after that. And I'm going to go after it through relationship with God, through intimacy with God, and receiving whatever gift God gives to me. Because when we start seeing other people and comparing ourselves to other people, then, then we start becoming slaves. Just like the Israelites were slaves to the law, they became slaves to the law, to something that was good for them. They made it into something that oppressed them. And we can do the same thing when we compare. But when we think of ourselves as sons and daughters, 
and think of ourselves as God's going to give us good gifts just because we're his children, just because we're in the family. My kids don't have to do anything for me to get a gift. Sometimes we just get them stuff. It's because we love them. And we think God is different than that, or that God loves differently. God loves us more than we love our children, than we love ourselves. And so each one of us has the love of God poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So we are sons and daughters. We are unique. We're unique by design. And so chase after what the Lord is giving to you. Chase after the gifts that you want to go after and see what the Lord gives you. But no, you don't have to strive. You don't have to fight for it. All you have to do is spend time with Jesus. That is it. Wake up in the morning and say, Hi, Lord. What you doing? <laughs> what do you want to do today? Simple stuff like that. Which starts even more prayer. Start praying for people. But it's our relationship with Jesus that opens us up to the gifts of the Spirit. Once we start pressing into how what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives, then that's what transforms us. Not because we're going after the gifts, but because we're going after the Spirit. We're going after Jesus. We're going after loving God, the Father. So let's stand. Let's take communion. We have communion at the corners of the stages here, in the back by the side door there and the doors to the foyer. So go ahead and grab that. So as we take communion today, we're going to do, we're going to focus on our hearts. And we're going to focus on repenting for stuff that we need to repent of. Whether it's in not fully trusting in the Holy Spirit in our lives, not fully trusting in God as Father, we can repent of that and change our hearts and change our ways and start looking to a greater way whether it's any other sin in your life, any other thing that you know is an entanglement but is hard for you to let go. As we hold this bread of Christ, we know that Christ died on the cross. He was bruised and beaten for us so that we may no longer be slaves, but we can become sons of God, daughters of God. And so in this bread is the hope of our glory, hope of our glory in Christ. So search your hearts. Jesus, search our hearts now. What do you want to transform? What do you want to change? How do you want to make us into new beings? What do we need to repent of, Lord? Lord, we repent of not seeing your Holy Spirit for who it is in our lives, for who he is in our lives. We repent of not seeing the Holy Spirit as our helper, as the one sent to us to indwell us, the, the living embodiments within us of God. We repent of looking to other things. We repent of being angry with people based on their beliefs, based on their race, based on 
what they do. We repent of hatred towards the other, whoever that is. And Lord, how can we hate when you've shown us love through being battered and beaten on your way to the cross? How you've shown us love and great mercy. And how can we be unmerciful and unloving? So Lord, we repent for being unloving. Show us how to love Jesus. And we remember your sacrifice for us. We remember your body now. In Jesus' name. as we hold the cup now that we've repented and now that we've changed our hearts now that we've changed our minds let's dedicate our lives once more to Jesus once more to the Holy Spirit once more to the Father dedicating our lives to the one who is worthy of everything because he gave everything for us because on the cross blood poured out from him and it was this blood that washes over us this blood that cleanses us and this blood that carries us into the family of God. This blood is the new covenant. This blood is our justification by faith. What you're doing right now is your justification by faith. You're telling the world, you're telling the demons and everything else, you're telling all of the lies, I am a child of God because I believe in this blood. And I believe in what this blood has done for my life and is going to continue to do for my life. So Lord, come and fill us as we remember you, as we remember the blood that you poured out from your body on the cross. Come and fill us with an even greater desire to seek your face and to seek who you are and to just spend time with you, to love you, to love you for no other reason than you are worthy of it. You're worthy of our praise. You're worthy of our life. You're worthy of every single minute, of every single day, every single second and millisecond, every single thing that we do, Lord, you are worthy because you gave your whole being for us because you love us. And Lord, we need help knowing how to love. We need help knowing how to be graceful and how to be merciful and how to spread your glory and your kingdom in this world. So as we drink this today, Lord, fill us up with even more power of your Holy Spirit, even more understanding of your word, and even more action that we can go out and claim this world for the kingdom of God, this city for the kingdom of God, our families for the kingdom of God. So, ministry time. As the Lord's speaking to you, come up. No matter what it is, sometimes we need just an action, right? If, if you're going after healing, come up for, for ministry. Ministry team, go ahead and come and line up here. But if you're going after something, whether it's healing or if there's a situation in your life that needs changed, or if you want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, come up and receive from the Lord. Sometimes... 
we say, oh, the Lord can touch me wherever I am, and it's true. The Lord can touch you wherever you stand, whether it's in the back of this auditorium or on your way home. But sometimes it takes an act, just a symbolic act of stepping out of your seat like it did for me when, I, when the Lord baptized me in his spirit. I got out of my seat and I walked down to the front. No one had to touch me, but the Lord touched me. And it was just that simple act. I didn't really even have faith in that moment. And so whatever's going on in your life, the Lord wants to speak into it. The Lord wants to see you transformed. The Lord wants to see you no longer a slave, but walking as his child. So whatever you have, come up for prayer. Whatever your need is, come up for prayer. Even if it's something that you've been chasing after for a long time, whether it's a healing that's just not happening, come up for prayer and see what the Lord says and see what the Lord does this time. There's always this time. And so for the rest of you, you're free to go. We'll bless you. And Jesus, we thank you for who you are in our lives. And we thank you for your blessing on us. We thank you for your love in our lives. And so bless us today as we leave. Bless us today as we go out and have lunch and go out and have arguments and go out and have fights. Go out and get angry at all of the drivers in Albuquerque. Bless us so that we can express your love and your peace in this city. In Jesus' name.